0: Standing on the platform of truth Pioneer Health and Missions. And I like this passage from Isaiah chapter forty. It says that he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. Perhaps one of the, yes? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> so, to me, those are, I think, some of the most beautiful words written. They, they paint a picture of the one whom our heart is to go out after, one who cares when he sees those who are weak, when he sees those who are uh, maybe lame, or maybe, uh, maybe they're with young. They're having a difficult time. Christ is there. He'll pick them up in his arms. He'll carry them next to his bosom. He's someone who wants personal relationship with us. He's not afraid of personal contact. Christ wasn't afraid of coming in contact with the dirty and the filthy of this world. He came to bring them in contact with himself so that they could partake of his holiness and purity. And that, to me, is one of the most beautiful things about the good shepherd. It's not simply does he want to, he doesn't want to distance himself from us, but he wants to come close to us. And the work of a shepherd is a close, intimate work. We're going to be spending a lot of our time in the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter. So I invite you to open your Bibles there with me. Gospel of John chapter 10. We're going to open with one of the I am statements, one of the many found in the Gospel of John. Verses 11 and 14, beginning in verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And this gift of life is in more ways than one. It doesn't simply mean that Jesus would lay down his life. That's a sense in which he gives his life for us. But he imparts it, too, through his experience. The experience that he gained as a human being, Christ wants to give to us that life, that joy, that peace. You know, there's a kind of life that is mere existence, And then there's life that is abundant life. It's life that measures with the life of God. And it's that life that he wants us to know, to be partakers of, to know of his joy, his peace, to know of the happiness and loveliness of heaven. Christ came to give us that life as well. And in verse 14, he says, Again, I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep and am known of mine. So here we have two things that are really important. Jesus tells us that he knows us. And this knowledge isn't simply knowing about. Jesus knows more than just about us. He doesn't know of us simply. He knows us. He's intimately acquainted. And he says, I am known of mine. In the same way, those that are his... Know him. It's an intimate knowledge, like a husband knows a wife. There's no human being on earth that knows a man better than his wife. And no man on earth knows his wife better than the husband. And this is the way God intended it to be. And it's that type of relation that he wants to enter in with us. He says, I am known of mine. Not just known about. Many people in this world know about Jesus. But those that are really His, they know Him. They walk with Him. They hear His voice. And interestingly enough, I want to compare this with what we looked at earlier this morning. In Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, some of my favorite words of Jesus, He calls upon us to take His yoke. And He says, learn of me. And what we are to learn is essentially told us in these words, he says, For I am meek and lowly in heart. You remember what caused Lucifer to fall? Right. Yeah, lifting up, wasn't it? He wasn't lowly in heart. He ceased being lowly in heart. He became exalted in heart. And that led to his fall. Jesus says, I am lowly in heart. Can you imagine that? I mean, usually when we have some great gift, some great skill, we think too much of ourselves. But the Son of God, who had all power, all wisdom, all knowledge, (coughs) he has all ability, all skill, but yet he says, I'm lowly. He doesn't think more of himself. He doesn't think of himself like we do more highly than he ought. But he is lowly in heart, and it's that life, that example he wants to give to us. We can understand what the heart of God is. He came to show us. And when we think of a shepherd, what do you think of? Well, it's interesting because the word shepherd in the Bible is also the word for pastor. Same word, poimen in Greek. It means shepherd, as well as pastor. In fact, the word pastor comes from our word pasture. One who feeds, one who tends to, guards and watches over That's what a shepherd did. He led them to the pasture. and He was there to watch over them, to protect them, to keep them from danger, so that they could feed. And that's what a, pas- what a pastor and what a shepherd does. He's a leader of men. Jesus didn't come to herd the sheep, as our English word implies, but a true shepherd is one that leads, as we will see. Notice, let's look here at John chapter 10 again. Let's go back to verse 1. Jesus begins by speaking of the sheep fold. Now, a sheepfold was a place where the sheep were kept overnight. It was a walled place, a protected place that had a gate and a door. And Jesus speaks of this. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a what? A thief and a robber. Now, who is the door? Christ. Christ is the door. He tells us that later, doesn't he? I am the door, the sheep. By me, if any man enter in, he shall find what? Astor. There was one, as we learned earlier, who tried to come to God, tried to be like God, but not in the way of Christ. He came up some other way, didn't he? And Jesus says of these type of individuals that they are thieves and robbers. They come for, but for one reason, to steal and to do violence. Because that's what robber means. A thief is more than just, uh, I think you should say, a robber is more than just a thief. A robber is simply one who takes something from you. A thief comes in by stealth, without your awareness. He'll pick your pocket without you knowing it. Not a robber. A robber takes it by force. That's the difference. A robber will, will steal from you, from your face, in front of your face. He'll take it by force of arms. That's the difference between robbery and thievery. So, Satan is both a thief, he'll take it by secret, but he'll also take it by force. Now notice, Jesus compares this style with someone else, or some other, those, some other type of shepherds, I should say. Verses 12 and 13, it says, But he that is in what? A hireling And not the shepherd, whose own sheep, excuse me, whose own the sheep are not. So they don't belong to him. He is a hireling. Now, what does it mean to be a hireling? Someone who's hired or paid to do the work, right? He is a hireling. This man seeth the wolf coming. He's watching the sheep, right? He's caring for them. Job's easy, day's going well. Then he spots the wolf. Things aren't going so well now for this man. Why is he there? Because he's being paid. Jesus says, This man seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. Now who is the wolf in this parable? The devil. The devil. Or devils. Because... The devil has followers, and they take many forms. And when they come, this hireling who's there for pay, and sad to say there are some ministers, some pastors, who are simply there for pay. Jesus says, if we don't consider those sheep our own, you are not a true pastor. We must care for them. When danger comes, when something threatens them, We stand between them and the danger. That's the work of a shepherd. Jesus said, I came to give my life, to shed my blood for you. He stood between the danger and the sheep. And so will a true shepherd. But a hireling, said Jesus, will not. Verse 13 tells us why. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. He's there for the money. He doesn't care for the sheep. God wants us to be true shepherds. Now that applies to pastors for their flock, but it also applies to parents. Those children are your sheep. And we are to stand between them and the wolves in this world because they are innocent like lambs. And they don't recognize the danger. They don't know the danger like we do. We, as human beings, don't recognize the danger of this world as Jesus did. And that's why he stood between us and it. To give an example, not only for pastors, but also for parents. Notice verses 2 and 3 now. He that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Interesting enters in by the door? Christ. Who is the door? Christ. Christ enters in by himself. Christ is the only way, you see. There is no other way. And all who follow Christ will enter in by that door. They will come through Christ. His example will be their example. His words will be their words. His way will be their way. This is how you will know a true shepherd. To him the porter openeth, we are told, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. Did you know that that was a custom among the ancient shepherds in Israel and the Middle East? That when when morning came and it was time to lead the sheep out, the shepherd would come and open the door, and he would stand back, and he would call each sheep, by name. And the sheep knew their name. Knew the voice of their shepherd. And would come at his voice. If anyone else called. They wouldn't come. Because when, when, the, when the shepherd was in the field. The sheep would learn his voice. Because he would sing to them. You know who the sweet singer of Israel was? David. David. He was a pastor. He was a shepherd growing up. And he used to sing to the sheep. That's how he developed his voice. He would sing to those sheep, and those sheep knew his voice. And Jesus, drawing upon that very language, something that everyone in Israel would have been familiar with, said, my sheep know my voice. I call them out by name, so that they know there's no danger. Just It reminds me of my grandmother. She uh, was a, a swim instructor. And so I loved the water when I was a little kid. And I remember how my grandmother taught me to swim. She dove into the deep end, called me over to the edge of the pool, and went like this. And I never hesitated. Dove right in. And she, she never failed to catch me, ever. It's that, it's that security, that trust that is there. And that's the security of knowing the voice of Jesus. When he calls, you know danger is not there. No danger can be where Christ is. No one can snatch us from his hand. There's security and peace there. And this, this language is, is to me is some of the most beautiful language in Scripture. His sheep hear his voice. Now it's interesting. I want to share a little bit about this word here. We think of here as, as something that we do passively. You might now be hearing my voice, but when the Bible says hear, it doesn't simply mean passively. It means actively. You know, the difference between hear and listen. Hear is something you do passively. You can hear, you know, you hear the sound of the air conditioning. You're hearing it passively. But unless you're actively listening to it, you don't really think about it. That's the difference hearing and listening. Jesus was saying, listen. More than hear. He wants us to listen. Be actively listening for that voice. Recognition needs to be there. Because you hear a lot of voices in a room. But if it's a familiar voice and you're listening, you'll hear it. See? And it comes to us from the word akuo. Which is where we get our English word acoustics. The things we hear are called acoustics. The word hear comes to us from this word. But notice too what the Bible says about hearing. In Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 21, I like to call him the gospel prophet. Isaiah in chapter 30 verse 21 says, "And thine ears shall what? Hear, Hear a word behind thee. This is the saying, this is the way, walk ye in it." when? when you turn to the right hand and when you, or to the right hand and when you turn to the left so at every juncture in life when we come to a decision a place where we can go this way or we can go that way his promise is you'll hear the voice of the good shepherd saying this is the way oh you hear and recognize that voice that's the right path but only those who recognize this voice will know the good path you see but the promise is you will hear If we will learn to listen. And that word here, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, is the same word. In Hebrew, it's the word shama. And it means not only passive listening or hearing, but active listening. Notice also what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. If you haven't memorized this verse... Dude. there's a whole sermon in this verse Paul says so then faith cometh how by, hearing. by a- passively or actively well I would say both it has to be both faith cometh by hearing and hearing what the word of God it's not just any faith that is it's being spoken of here, is it? Because we can believe anything. People just say, oh, believe, believe, have faith. But the question ought to be, what? What am I to believe? Paul says faith alone comes by the Word of God. It's by hearing it, passively and actively. We need to be allowing it into our minds and hearts, thinking upon it actively, so that it become a part of our lives. Now, this word here is interesting. It's one of my favorite words in the Bible. And I've often shared this with a number of people, but I want to share it with you again today. The word here we learned was what Greek word? Anyone remember? Akuo, when we get acoustics, yes. Now, if you take and you add a little preposition to that verb, to hear, its meaning changes. Well, you think, well, yeah, words do change. But I want you to notice the change. For instance, if you add the preposition par in there, and you say paracuo, that means disobey. What it literally means is almost here. You're almost there, you're close, you're right next to it, but you miss it. It's a missing the mark. And interesting the word for sin, hamartano, literally means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. So, parakuo means to disobey. To almost hear is actually to disobey in the Bible. Now if you take that same akuo and you add another preposition to it, kupo this time, you have obey. Interesting. Listening is connected with obedience. Do you ever think about that? And we should know that as English speakers. Because have you ever had your parents say to you, I want you to listen to me? What do they mean? Obey. Obey. When God says, hearken unto me, O Israel, what did he mean? Obey, Obey him. That word hearken is just an old form of hear me To hearken unto someone is to obey. And it's used this way in both Old and New Testament. So when you have these two little prepositions to it, you have two different opposing uh, pictures painted, don't you? Now, hupakul literally means to submit, to bring your ear under, in other words, to submit to what you hear. When you hear something, your parents say, I want you to listen to me, I want you to clean your room. Obedience would be to submit and do it. Disobedience would be, yeah, I heard you, but were you listening? You almost, almost listened. You disobeyed. You didn't carry it through. And that's the interesting part about this word, here. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Jesus wants us to be actively listening for his voice. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a moment. But first I want us to go back to John chapter 10 and read verses 4 and 5. Notice when it says, when the shepherd putteth forth his sheep, it says that he called them by name, that he goeth before them, that is, he leadeth them, and the sheep, what? Follow. Follow him. So there... Not only is he leading, but they are keeping their eyes on him. They're following him. For they know his voice. Now that word know, I'm going to talk about here in just a moment as well. Verse 5. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him. For they know not the voice of strangers. Now that word know is important. As I mentioned before, it implies more than just... Knowledge about. He's talking about intimate knowledge. For instance, if you turn in your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 5 and verse 2. I want you to see something there. Exodus chapter 5 verse 2, and you can keep a marker in John 10 because we'll be coming back to it. Exodus chapter 5 verse 2. Maybe I can have a volunteer read that. Thank you. Notice, Pharaoh asks a question. What is his question? Who is the Lord that I should what? Obey his voice. Now, did Pharaoh not know who God was? Did he not know who Jehovah was? Yes. He yes, him? he did know who he was. He, he, yes, he, he did. Didn't he didn't know him, you're right. right. But he knew of him, didn't he? He knew who he was. And his question was, who is he that I should obey him? Pretty arrogant question. He says, what? I know not. Now, he's not saying that I, he was ignorant. That word know, which in the Greek, in both here and in John chapter uh, 10, verse 5, means to acknowledge. What he's saying is, I don't acknowledge the Lord. Therefore, I will not let his people go. He didn't acknowledge his authority; his word was not an authority to him. That's what he meant when he said, "I know not the Lord." He wasn't saying he was ignorant of Him, but he would not acknowledge His word as authority. It's yes, to like, a, a verse you quoted last night: uh, "He who denies God is a fool." Yes, Pharaoh was a of fool. He was a fool. <laughs> yes, a good example of a fool. <laughs> Not only did he say in his heart, but he said in his words. So, notice that knowledge here, to know, my sheep know my voice. And I am known of them. This is acknowledgement. Jesus acknowledges his sheep. That one is mine. When it comes to Satan claiming them, Jesus says, no, they're mine. He acknowledges them. It's not simply uh, knowing about, but he acknowledges them before God and the angels. These are mine. They are graven on the palms of my hands. He knows them. And they know him. That is, they acknowledge his voice. They acknowledge his word as their authority. And that's what is implied in that. Not, as I mentioned before, not simply knowing of, but acknowledgement. And as I gave example, Exodus 5.2. And I, noticed, I want you to notice the correlation between obey and know. Because they're used as synonyms here. Pharaoh refused to obey because he refused to acknowledge. When we acknowledge the authority of the word of God, it's to lead us to repentance and obedience. That is at the heart of repentance. I want to note here some comments taken from the Signs of the Times regarding the Word of God. Because I want us to, to think a moment as we know that the disciples heard the voice of Jesus, didn't they? Audibly. But how can we, Christians, today hear Jesus? Is he speaking audibly today? Yes, he is. The question is, how? How can I hear? Yes, we need to be listening. And what we need to be listening to is of the utmost importance. So I want us to think about that as we consider these words and the signs of the times. It's March 28, 1906. Eighth paragraph says, we are to open the Word of God with reverence, and with a sincere desire to what? Know. know the will of God concerning us. This is the motive that is to prompt our reading of the Word of God. Sometimes, and all too often, I find it can be curiosity. You know, we want to learn some new thing. We want to see some new thing. We can be kind of like the Greeks that came to hear Paul. You know, they wanted to hear some new thing, so they came to hear this preacher preaching these strange things. But that's not why we open the Word of God, is it? It's to know what God's will for us is. And to know, we saw, is connected with what? Obey. Again, we continue. Then, then when? When we open the Word of God to know His will, the heavenly angels will direct our search. Is that a promise? When you open the word of God, the angels will say, go here, and they'll direct you. God speaks to us in his word. So how do we hear the voice of Jesus speaking to us today? In his word, amen. We are in the audience chamber of the Most High. Have you ever thought of it that way? That when we wake in the morning and we bow before the Lord and we pray, we enter his audience chamber. And as we open the word of God, we're hearing his voice speak audibly to us. We're hearing his reply. We're hearing his voice speak to our heart. We are in the audience chamber of the Most High. In the very presence of God, Christ enters the heart. Who? Christ. The Holy Spirit takes of the things of God and shows them to us. So who is the Holy Spirit? Christ. Amen. We see most clearly the greatness of God's love and the fullness of his salvation. It's the Spirit of God, Christ in us, that opens these things to us. We begin to hear the shepherd's voice, and we feed upon it. Continuing, we read, we appreciate more fully. Now, can reading the Bible give us appreciation? spiritual things? It can. But as we open the heart more and more to Jesus, we gain more full appreciation of it. Our appreciation deepens. And, you know, God made the heart almost infinite. Depth. That depth can grow and grow and grow and grow. Become deep waters. And God wants it to be deep. He wants that appreciation and love to be as the deep oceans. Continues, his gracious design to make us partakers in the heavenly firm. That is, in the heavenly family. We are drawn into what kind of sympathy? Full sympathy. With the plans of God. You know what I find so wonderful about this? What was the one thing that that Satan felt God was withholding from him. He couldn't enter into his plans. Oh, but he could have. If he had come through Christ. He could have entered into (laughs) his plans. And what was withheld from Satan, not by God, but from Satan himself. Satan kept himself from entering into those plans and all who try to come in some other way. But as we open our heart to Jesus, and understanding who He is, and what He wants to do for us, those plans God begins to unfold to us. His secret is with us. You know the secret things belong to whom? To God. Deuteronomy 29.29. 29. But those things that are revealed belong unto us and to our children, that we may do all these words, the law, that is. What God has held in secret, he promises to make known to us. If we come to him through Christ, those secrets will be made known. He will show unto us his covenant. The life of Christ that gives life to the world is what? In his word. That life that he came to give, that life that he said I came to give for the sheep, for the life of the world, is what? in His Word. Where can we find it then? Continuing, the whole Bible, how much of it? The whole Bible is a manifestation of Christ, and the Savior desires to fix the faith of His followers on the Word. When His visible presence should be withdrawn, the Word must be their source of power. Like their master, They were to live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And there's coming a day when we might not have our Bibles. They may be taken from us. And the only source of comfort, the only source of strength we will have, will be in here. That will be the the unbreakable bond that will hold us to God. Satan can't break it. We have to cut it satan cannot if we've been feeding on that word that cord will strengthen and it will grow and that's what he wants he wants us to feed on that source of life and again we're told that christ's words are what the bread of life what do you do with bread why What does bread do when you eat it? You know what happens to food when you eat it? It becomes blood. exactly what happens. Science will tell you that. Spirit of Prophecy will tell you that. The food you eat becomes your blood. You remember in Leviticus, God said something like, a life is in the blood. His word is life. We eat that bread, it becomes our life. God's word, good blood. Man's word, bad blood. Yes. Continuing, it says their understanding is quickened or made alive. They understood better the value of the Savior's teachings. Here she's speaking of the disciples says they, They understood better the value of the Savior's teachings. In their comprehension of these teachings, they stepped from the obscurity of dawn to the radiance of new day. By receiving his words, you see, by faith, faith cometh by hearing. As they received the word of Christ, their understanding was enlightened, and their understanding of God's will and purpose change from the darkness of dawn to the brightness of new day. And that's what he wants to do for us. God is no respecter of persons. Christ is the good shepherd. He wants to lead us to green pastures where we can feed on him. My flesh is meat indeed. My blood is drink indeed. Again, so will it be with us as we study God's word our minds will be quickened and our understanding enlarged those who receive and assimilate this word making it a part of every act of every attribute of character grow strong in the strength of god it gives vigor to the soul perfecting the what experience and bringing joys that abide forever it's this experience that perfects our experience. That is our character. I want to share a thought with you. You know, it says bringing this word, making it a part of every act, of every attribute of our character. Do you know what this means? Paul expressed it in military language. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. I don't have this in my slides or notes, but I want to share it with you. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read verses 10 and 11. Finally, my brethren, says Paul, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Why? How? What does it mean? He tells us, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Why? That ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Taking his word... Bringing it into every act, every thought, every motive, into every part of our characters, letting it form our lives and build our lives, is what it means to put on the armor of God. And by putting on that armor, we are equipping ourselves to stand against the wiles of the devil. Just as we learned this morning, we learned some of the nature of sin. Part of the enemy's methods, his wiles. We're unmasked. And that's what the Word of God does for us. It allows us to stand against temptation, to stand against deception, not because it imparts strength. Christ imparts that strength, but it imparts that knowledge, which is power. It gives us ability to discern between right and wrong, and we discern an enemy from a friend, a foe from a friend. And by that, we turn to Christ. So it is the word of God that gives vigor to the soul, or power to the soul, perfecting the experience and bringing joys that abide forever. And I don't say that it's necessarily the words themselves, but it's believing them. We must believe, and not just believe anything, but we must believe what is written. Don't believe what I say about what is written, but believe what is written. That is the only security, because it's not my word that you will be tested over. It is God's word that you will be tested over. So don't just take my word. Go and search it for yourself. Know what God is saying to you through his word. And that leads me to my final thought. I want to close. I want us to turn back to John chapter 10. Those of you who have your your marker already there, one step ahead. And I went, went ahead and closed my book. John chapter 10, we're going to read verse 16. I want to end with this because it's a, a promise that gives us hope. To whom was Jesus speaking when he spoke these words? Jews. was speaking to Jews. They, firstly, his words pertain to them. But he says something that gives hope to us. Notice verse 16. And other sheep have I. Now who are the sheep he's referring to? His people, the Jews. But he says, other sheep have I. Who are those other sheep? We Gentiles, notice what he says about them. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Do you want to be a part of that fold? If we do, if it's our heart desire, these words to us so in the most famous words in all the Bible the Lord is my shepherd. my shepherd you know David said that the Lord is my shepherd he was one among God's people the Lord was indeed his shepherd not only was he born a Jew but he chose the Lord as his own and Jesus says other sheep have I And if we choose Jesus today, we call him my shepherd. We acknowledge him as our shepherd, as our pastor. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He'll feed us with his precious words. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness Why? For, for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And the last verses say, Thou preparest the table for, or before me in the presence of mine enemies. Have you ever thought of eating in the presence of your enemies? It's like Christ sleeping in the midst of a storm, eating calmly, peacefully in the presence of your enemies. It's it's an interesting thought, but this is a promise he wants to give to us. That in every situation, in every discomfiture, in every trial, he promises peace. We will keep our minds stayed upon him. Isaiah 23, 6 says, I will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon Me." Because he trusteth in me. Thou anointest my head with oil. Our heart, our head is filled with the Holy Spirit. My cup runneth over. I give to others. I have more than I can hold. And if Jesus is in your heart, trust me, you've got more than you can hold, and you cannot hold it back. It gushes over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Blessed promise. And that promise is offered to us today. Standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions.